Thank you, Steve. Thank you, worship team. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Everyone, everywhere around the world, getting to experience the goodness of God. God who frees, God who liberates, God who brings justice. Um, Today, we're continuing in a worship series um, called Rework. This feels lower than usual, but I'm just going to deal with it. I would like to rework it right now and move it up a little higher, but uh, then I'll, yeah, I'll probably make it fall off or something. So, okay. It's a little lower than usual. Oh, well. Good morning. (laughs) Oh, it's good to be with you all. Um, We're just going to get right into it. It's okay. I think it really will fall off if we try to make it higher. There's only so many adjustments you can make in life, right? Isn't that true? (laughs) We can try. Oh, oh. You know, that's fantastic. Hey. Sometimes, sometimes the adjustments work. Thank you, Neil. Yay, thank you, Neil. Oh, wonderful, now I can see you and my notes, which is good because otherwise I'll ramble. So in April a few years ago, Glacier National Park set up a, a, a live stream cam that was going for 24 hours a day. And they experienced this huge bump in online visitor traffic um, when they put this up because apparently there was this one little black bear that did not want to leave hibernation. It was just staying in his tree trunk. Now all around in Glacier National Park at that time of year, there are signs of life. Animals are are popping out of their dens and leaving their places of hibernation, and I didn't have any pictures of those to show you, so instead I found this this gif of this really cute seal. This little seal is just peeking its head out after winter. Hello, there's a little hi. I think he's saying hi. So I don't have any pictures of animals actually emerging out of hibernation at Glacier National Park, so you can just imagine it. This little black bear was not in a rush to leave his hibernation. And there's these multiple parts to it. I think this particular, um, this particular video on YouTube has like 10 hours to it. So I watched, you know, a couple minutes. So I did not see Mr. Bear emerge. But here he is. He's, he's taking a peek out. And he's thinking, will I, will I leave? Oh, nope. I'm just going to rest my head, and then, oh, go all the way back inside. And so apparently, over a period of days, this little black bear would, would leave, his, leave that little nest just to, to lick, you know, branches and, and some of the dripping snow off of the bark, and then head back in again. And apparently, at some point in time, over a period of many days, this little black bear finally was able to emerge and reemerge and finally leave his place of hibernation. Because in order to be healthy, he would need to leave eventually. But eventually, he's going to have to descend from the tree and find something to eat and re-engage with life. Uh, but not yet. <laughs> At least not during the 10 minutes that I watched. This bear, this bear lived alone, but I can imagine if he lived with his family, they'd be like, okay, it's time to get out of there. <laughs> time to get up and get out, kiddo. So here we are in this church season of Easter, right? We might be in the season of spring, even though it doesn't feel super springy right now, but we're in the church season of Easter. And it's in the church calendar that over, over thousands of years, millions of people have chosen to walk in this church calendar to be formed by the life of Christ, because the church calendar is based around the life of Christ. And we're in the church season of Easter, which is the 50 days in between Easter Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, and Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate and remember Holy Spirit being poured out on the early church, and his disciples being sent out, emerging from all the places that they were, um, had retreated to, emerging and being sent out as vibrant witnesses 
to what God has done, is doing, and will do. So we see the disciples, we see a really vibrant witness after Pentecost. But in the season of Easter, some of them at Easter season, that very first one, were a little bit more like the black bear. (laughs) They weren't quite ready to leave their place where they had found some safety to re-engage the world around them just yet. So we're going to look at the text and invite you to see how how God, how Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, how maybe how you need to receive the presence of God in your life today. And I like this text. It's going to be in John chapter 20, so feel free to go there on your Bible app, John 20, or or go there on your your paper Bible, or even just Google John 20. And I'll give you just a moment to find it. Um, I, I love this passage because we see all three members of the Trinity in it. We see Father, Son, and Spirit. And normally this passage is one that we don't spend a lot of time on um, because it's something we read through to get to something else. Now, when Dan and I, when we moved from Honolulu to Los Angeles for grad school, we really enjoyed some of the times we were able to go on road trips. And um, once we even went to Portland from Los Angeles for Christmas to visit our friends there, we did not know how long of a drive that would be. <laughs> it's like a thousand miles. <laughs> you could tell we like, lived on island and danced from here because we're not used to road trips. We're like, oh yeah, we'll just drive up to Portland. <laughs> that was nuts. But well worth it, well worth it. But there were stretches, you know, when we were driving and on these road trips, there'd be stretches of, of, of sort of desert land where it felt like it were just in between. Right, you're just kind of driving through them to get to the next thing. And I remember this one time we were driving in this, this one place of desert in between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and it felt like there was nothing there until the one day we drove there and one of us needed to use the bathroom really bad. And that's when we discovered, actually, there was life all around. <laughs> there was no in-between place, right? We got out, out of the car with the individual in question who needed to use the restroom, and there were just trucks going back and forth, and there were, like, people in the fields, like, there's vineyards, and we're like, you don't really want to use the bathroom here. And got back in the car, and sure enough, we were able to find a little town. So even in those stretches of land that seem like there's in-between space, there's always some kind of life happening. And today, in today's town, text in John 20, a passage we usually read through to get to the juicy part about doubting Thomas, which we're not going to get to today. In this passage in between, there is life for us. There's something wonderful for us that I think um, God wants to share. So we're looking at the stretch of text in between John 20, 19 through 23 without any further ado. Let me just go ahead and read this, starting in verse 19. This is on Easter Sunday. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're reading along at home or in your favorite Bible translation, you might get there to verse 23 and be like, wait, what? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Uh, 
there's this great picture of Jesus in, in this, this room, right? He, he's there. Uh, even though there's locked doors, they're there together. And then suddenly there's this thing about forgiveness. And what is Jesus saying? Um, so I'm letting you know that it might sound a little bit strange, and that's okay. I actually love passages of scripture that sound strange, and we are going to get to it. We will not forget the strange passage of scripture. We will get there before the end of this morning. So we will get to verse 23. Um, but let's go ahead and just uh, zoom back and see where we're at, because it's evening that first Easter Sunday. Now remember, at the beginning of the day, Jesus had appeared to the women disciples. The women disciples went back and they told the men. The book of Luke tells us that the men thought the women's words sounded like nonsense. <laughs> it literally says that. It sounded like nonsense to them. Which, to be fair, was kind of understandable, even though frustrating for the women. I'm not sure any of us, if we had been there, would have believed the message of the women either, if we had heard such absurd and surprising news, that the person we loved and followed and were taught by, informed by, had somehow risen from the dead. So it's evening that first Sunday, the disciples are gathered in a room, the doors are locked. I think if we slowed down a little bit and imagined ourselves in that room, it would be a sad and heavy place. These are the disciples that didn't see the risen Christ yet. It's fair to say they were discouraged, disoriented, confused, sad. They gather just to be together because sometimes when you're sad, it's really nice to be with other people who are sad too. Next week is Mother's Day, which for me is a really tough time of year. It's the time of year uh, that we celebrate the birthday of our, of our middle son. So he was born on Mother's Day. He's our son who also died of cancer. So every year on Mother's Day, I remember his birth. I'm also remembering that he is not here. On Mother's Day, I like to be with people who are sad. It's hard to be with people who are really happy on that day. So I can imagine in this room with the doors locked, disciples, it's good for them to be together because they're all sad, all in the same place. There they are. Now, I just want to, as you picture these disciples, I want you to remember that they have been with Jesus, some of them, for years. They've traveled with him. They've been formed by him. They've seen him heal and teach and pray. And they've done some really amazing things too. Actually, um, we know from, from one of the other books of the Bible that 72 of these disciples were sent out two by two. Jesus had sent them out earlier and um, just sent them to go to all the neighborhoods, all the towns that Jesus was going to go to. And they were sort of there to prepare the way to proclaim the nearness of God's kingdom. And they were supposed to go without bringing anything extra with them, like no extra clothes or shoes or food. So these disciples had already gone into sort of unknown circumstances and experienced generosity and goodness and God's power. They had really good time being sent out. It was really meaningful. They got to see God's power at play. So these disciples, you know, here in this room with the doors locked, they're sad, yes, but they're also disciples who've seen some powerful things. They've been formed by Jesus. They've seen supernatural things happen. And yet, here they are, still sad, afraid, huddled together. They have some reworking to do. They have some reworking to do. And I don't blame them at all for it. It's not a sin. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Of course they were afraid. 
If we were there, we would have been afraid too. I mean, think about it. It's only been a few days since they found out that their fellow friend Judas had betrayed them and Jesus. It's only been a few days since they all ran away. So that's, that's, there's some shame there. It's only been a few days since they saw Jesus forcibly taken from them, brought through a sham of a trial, handed over to their, the Roman overlords, the empire, the violent empire occupying their land. It's only been a few days since Jesus was beaten and tortured and killed. It's only been a few days. Everything feels fresh. So they're, they're huddled in this room with the doors locked, trying to shut out the dangers in the world outside them. And friends, even though this is a very extreme example, we have been in places where things felt really fresh, where we needed time to retreat, where we felt we needed to be in a place where we could be a little safer, maybe behind some kind of locked doors. Sometimes we disengage to protect ourselves shut ourselves away, metaphorically or literally. Friends, whether it's been a a few days for you or more than a few days, where in your life have you disengaged to protect yourself? What loss or possible threat feels fresh to you? Perhaps you disengage from friends or your family or maybe even from some of your church community during this time of COVID. Maybe it feels like there's never a good time to re-engage, right? There's so many of these uh, surges of COVID, and and when when do you begin to re-engage again? It's all so confusing and and hard and different and strange and stressful. When do you re-emerge? Have you disengaged from a relationship that's really important to you? Because you're not really sure how to begin again. It's easier to let things stay the way they are. Is there a place in your own soul that you have disengaged? A place that you have locked away? Maybe questions that you haven't wanted to ask. Maybe a memory you have not wanted to explore. Is there a place in you that's locked away? It hasn't been safe for you to share it with people. You're not sure what would happen if you did. Have you disengaged from your family community or your church community because there's loss and grief and change related to your faith? and it's easier to stay away. Where, where have you disengaged? I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, within each one of us, I'd say most, most of us, there's gotta be at least one place where we have some walls up, where there might even be a lock in that key, a key in that lock, closed away. The disciples, some inner working was needed for them to re-engage the world that felt so threatening. Some inner working is needed for them to reemerge from this place of defensiveness and self-protection to responsiveness. This inner working, this reworking is not a punishment. It is not the result of a failing. It is God's gift to them. And Jesus comes to help them through it. Not to scold them or shame them or tell them that they're wrong. Instead, Jesus reaches into their fear and pain with the depth of God's compassion. There's this picture I saw um, in the front of a New Yorker, and I totally forgot to share it with you, but it's this picture of this guy, and he's behind a locked door. And it's not just a locked door, but there's many, many, many locks. So many locks, like the kind that have the chain, the kind that have 
you know, this big thing that you slide across. And he's there inside this empty room with all these doors, uh, all, this, all these locks. And then underneath the door slides this little letter with a heart. This little love note slipped under the door. Even in this place where he's barricaded, there's this little note of love. And that's what I see Jesus doing in this passage, entering into this locked space with God's own heart of compassion. Now, if we look at the text, we'll notice that Jesus does not reason with the disciples. Jesus does not say, hey, I am alive, so you don't have to be afraid anymore. Get with the program. Does Jesus do that? No. Jesus doesn't try to bring logic to the situation. Well, since I'm risen from the dead, there's nothing God can't do, so what are you waiting around here for? Does Jesus say that? No. Instead, Jesus shows up and brings his scarred self. Jesus shows up with God's own wounds to this group that is sad and closed off. Jesus brings his scarred self with a message of peace to the closed off place where his disciples were meeting. If you're following along in your notes, number one in your notes, Jesus brings his scarred self with a message of peace to this closed off place. And friends, Jesus brings his scarred self with a message of peace to those places in us where we are closed off, those places in us that might be locked away. And Jesus doesn't just give this message of peace once, right? He doesn't just say, oh, peace to you, hi, here I am. Jesus says it again and again. Let's look at it here in the text. Uh, We have it in verse 19, right? It was was evening that first day. Um, The disciples were in a locked room. Jesus came and stood among them and said, can we say the bold words together? Here we go, one, two, three. Peace be with you. That's what Jesus said. And then um, two, two verses later, again, Jesus said, we can say it together, peace be with you, right? Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. And then we find out if you keep reading all the way through in this passage and you get to doubting Thomas, you get to the other things, you're going to find out that one week later, Jesus once again meets with the disciples in the house. Once again, they're behind locked doors, right? They're a little bit like this bear emerging and re-emerging. Jesus comes and stands among them and once again says, Peace be with you. Again and again, Jesus comes with his wounds, with his scars, with a message of peace. Friends, where in you needs to hear a message of peace from the wounded healer? Where in you needs to hear a message of peace, of God's goodness from the wounded healer? No place is too closed off for Jesus. No place inside you or outside of you. No place in our community. No gathering of people too lost or afraid or disoriented. No, no, no group of people too vulnerable, too afraid. Jesus reaches, shows his hands inside. And as Jesus does this, as he shows his wounds, um, there's so many wonderful theological things he's doing. But just on a very simple level, he's showing the fact that God can be vulnerable, that God could be hurt. God was harmed. God was harmed by us, by the world that God loves. And as Jesus does this, it's very disarming. Instead of coming with some fancy rhetoric, instead of coming with a weapon, Jesus comes with wounds to say, hey, I am powerful, but I also can be harmed. I'm vulnerable because I love. Jesus comes to disarm us. 
God is willing to let God's self be hurt for the sake of those he loves. And Jesus comes with the peace of the triune God, comes from the place of the dead, not with punishment or judgment, but with a message of vulnerability, of love, and of peace. Have you received this peace of God? Is it with you? Friends, the the mind at peace can do wonderful and powerful things. I believe it was Nicholas Tesla who was like walking in the park in the late 1800s and he was reading poetry. He was just walking the park reading poetry when suddenly the idea for an induction motor just came to his mind fully formed. The mind at peace was able to do something wonderful. I'm not sure if that's just a you know, story or if actually it happened. You'd have to go do some digging. But the story is that he comes up with this idea for the induction motor, which is what we use all the time, right? This kind of electricity, right? If you've ever watched TV or charged your phone or used a toaster, um, you're using this kind of electricity. It came to him when his mind was at peace in a park, reading poetry. My husband, Dan, he gets great thoughts in the shower. Like all the time we'll be talking about something or he'll be working on a sermon or back when he was writing his book, um, working on something and then, you know, end of the day, he takes a shower and he comes out and he's like, I had an idea. It's like almost a thing where like he'll take a shower and I'm like, what ideas did you have now? <laughs> Here's your pen and paper. It's, it's, it's right there by the sink. <laughs> he gets great insights when he's in the shower. For me, that my time of insights are when I sleep. My brain is running too fast the other points in time. But when I sleep, my mind is at rest, and I'm able to have these dreams, these dreams that speak to me about things that sometimes are harder for me to articulate when I'm awake. And I wake up in the morning, and things make sense. I have the aha moment as my brain went through in a time of peace to be able to do something wonderful, receive something wonderful from God and from my own inner self. Friends, whatever is causing you stress or fear, whatever is closed off in you, can you sense the peace of Christ? Because Christ is here, the wounded healer, with a message of peace for you to receive. Now, Jesus knew that the disciples in that room, they couldn't, you know, reemerge and reengage the world around them unless they received something first. In order to reengage, they first needed to receive. They needed to receive. Jesus came with a lot to give. The disciples needed to receive from Jesus before they were sent to re-engage the world around them. If you're following along in your notes or online, we're going into filling in those blanks. The disciples needed to receive from Jesus before they were sent to re-engage the world around them. And friends, Jesus came with a lot to give. I just want to hold a couple pieces of information up from that text. Uh, And I have them in a list right here. Here we go. Very first thing, Jesus comes with a blessing of peace. So Jesus comes with that to give, right? We already went through that. Jesus comes revealing his wounds. He shows them his hands and his side. He comes with sending of the Father and Son, so he's giving them the gift of mission. He's coming with the life, giving breath of God. And remember, at the beginning of creation, when when God breathes God's breath of life into humanity, So the breath of God is powerful. It brings life. And Jesus comes with the breath of God. And Jesus comes also to give the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God in all times and all places with all people. There's nothing that can separate us from God's presence here. And even though Jesus physically, you know, we might not see his physical presence here, we know the member of the Trinity, that God is always present through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives the Holy Spirit here to his disciples. So Jesus comes with, with, with giving peace. Jesus comes with the gift 
of vulnerability showing God's own wounds. Jesus comes with the gift of mission to be sent. Jesus comes with life-giving breath of God. Jesus comes with the Holy Spirit. Those are so many gifts, aren't they? Because the disciples needed to receive. They had been through so much they needed to receive before they could re-engage. And friends, you need to receive before you can re-engage those areas of you that are closed off. For those of you that know you have some closed doors in your life, what do you need to receive? What do you need to receive in order to more fully re-engage? So out of all that list, all the ways that Jesus cared for and empowered his disciples, what stands out to you? Out of the life-giving breath, out of Jesus' wounds, out of peace. Um, Oh, am I forgetting some? Yes. Out with the sending of mission, with Holy Spirit. All the ways Jesus cared for and empowered his disciples. Which of that list stands out to you? I encourage you this week as you go back and read this text. It's just a short little text. It's wonderful to spend a little bit of time in. Think to yourself, out of all these things Jesus comes to give for his disciples to receive, um, what stands out to me? And why? Here at Wellspring, our renewal, our renewal vision um, is to be mending, equipping, and releasing disciples of Jesus. So we have three parts to that, mending, equipping, and releasing. And then what kind of disciples we are, we have a little bit to talk about that too. We want to be disciples of Jesus who are beloved in Christ, becoming like Christ, and building with Christ. Yet in order for us to be those kind of people, we need to receive too. In order for us to be released into the world, we need to be equipped. We can be equipped as we receive from God. Where do you need to receive from God? What do you need to receive from God in order to more fully engage? Question number two in your notes. What do you need to receive from God in order to more fully engage? Now, there's one more gift that Jesus came to give that we disciples could receive in this passage, right? God comes with all the gifts of God's goodness. So there's many, many, many of them. This passage just shows a few, right? There's one more gift that Jesus came to give for the disciples to receive. And now we've arrived at that portion of the text that might seem a little problematic when you first read it through. It can feel a little jarring, right? Jesus breathes on them, shows them his wounds, sends them out, they're so happy. And then Jesus says, oh, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. And if you don't, they're not. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think the text is saying that. If you have some inner resistance to that, good. Let's listen to that because that's an invitation to dig deeper. Because if we dig deeper, we will, we will discover something pretty cool. So, in fact, uh, the other jarring thing is that's actually how this text ends. It ends with Jesus saying this. If you, if you forgive people's sins, this is in the English translation uh, some of you might have. If you forgive people their sins, they'll be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they will not be forgiven. And then the text ends, and then it goes to set up all the stuff about Thomas. That's the end of the story. What about Jesus in the room? What about the disciples? It just ends with this thing on forgiveness and unforgiveness. It's like, what? That's why people skip through to get to Thomas. They're like, I don't want to deal with this talk about forgiveness, so we're just going to get to Thomas because I'd rather talk about doubt. I've heard a lot of messages on Thomas, but not many on this one point. So, okay, let's dig into it. Um, The reason why it seems so jarring for me, let me just speak from my experience, is because I do not want God's forgiveness of me to be tied up with any of you all. (laughs) Right? You don't want God's forgiveness of you to be tied up with me. If we're only forgiven when we forgive each other, and if we don't forgive each other, God doesn't forgive us, that's a problem. Because we humans are really bad at forgiving. I mean, let's be real. Most of us 
are not great at forgiving. It doesn't come naturally to us. So if Jesus is saying here that your forgiveness, that God's forgiveness is meted out through each other, then we're in trouble. Because we as a human race, we are out for blood. Even our best movements for justice, peace, and goodness, there can be shaming, there can be blaming, there can be reactivity, there can be silencing or canceling. We are not naturally good at forgiveness. So what does the text say? Well, there's two words being used there in the Greek. The first word is the word afiemi. So when Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of others, you'll be forgiven, they'll be forgiven. That word is afiemi. Jesus is literally saying, if we're going to trans- translate into English literally, Jesus is saying, if you remit the sins of anyone, they'll be remitted. This word remit, or afiemi, if we're going to transliterate in English, means send away, keep no longer, release, let go. Throughout scripture, this word afiemi is used in the New Testament. Most of the time, it's used to describe actually the act of letting go or releasing. About half the time, a little less than half the time, it is used as the word for forgive. So if you look at other passages in scripture where it talks about forgiveness, it does use this word afiemi. Because there's this picture in scripture that when we forgive, when we let go and release, we free. You might like you, like you might send away, you might release a servant from endangered servanthood. When you release and free someone in forgiveness, you're freeing them as well as yourself. There's this freedom there. So that's the word remit. It's often translated forgiveness. So Jesus is saying, if you forgive someone, there is freedom. There's freedom, there's releasing. And then Jesus uses this word curtail. He says, if you do, if you do not curtail them, then you, if you retain them, they are retained. So curtail is the word retain in English. It does not mean forgive does not mean not forgive. Oh my goodness, all these negatives. Oh, I'm getting confused. Criteo means retain. So when Jesus says, if you retain the sins of people, they are retained. Jesus is simply saying that. Because the word retain, the word criteo means to hold on. It means grab, take hold, hold fast. This word is used 47 times in the New Testament. Something like that. I didn't count every single one. It's used almost 50 times in the New Testament, and it is always translated as the physical act of holding on to something. It is never once translated as forgive, ever. It's simply not used for that. If you want to use the word forgive, you use the word afiemi. And if you say not forgive, then you use like a negative word and then afiemi. You wouldn't use this word retain. So what Jesus is saying here is when you forgive each other, there is releasing, there is freedom. You can let go. And if you don't, if you hold on to people's sins, then you're going to be holding on. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying that to these group of people who've been wounded, who've been betrayed by a friend, who've seen Jesus die, who are afraid. Of course they need to forgive because they're holding on to so much pain. They're angry at Judas. They might be angry at each other. They might be disappointed at God. They had a lot to forgive. Some of the reworking they needed to do was the work of forgiveness. And Jesus invites them into this work of letting go. If you let go, you'll be let go. Invites them into this work of freedom as Jesus breathes Holy Spirit on them. Friends, this means that you and I, we can have the strength and the courage to forgive as Holy Spirit 
is released, breathed by God into us. Jesus has sent the Spirit. The Father has sent the Spirit, which means that the work of forgiveness is possible. Because naturally, it's not really, it's not really doable. We can let things go. In fact, to re-engage, to merge from those places in us that are closed off, forgiveness might be necessary. The kind of forgiveness that releases, that gives things to God, that releases ourselves from the hold we have, from the own pain we carry, that lets go, doesn't hold on, that gives it to God, whose wounds have carried and released us from all sins. Friends, what is the work you need to do, the rework you need to do to re-engage? What do you need to receive? The disciples needed to receive in order to re-engage, and you and I need to as well. As I close, let me just remind you that re-engaging does not mean repeating, and it does not mean reenacting. Sometimes we have closed off rooms in us for a reason. We were hurt and harmed, and it was not safe to come out. There are reasons we have cut off relationships with people. There are some people we can never be in relationship again in this life. That's simply the way that is, because we've been hurt and harmed. Sometimes to open those locked doors and re-engage with that part in us, it doesn't mean that you're going to go back and do everything all over again. It doesn't mean you're going to have the same exact relationship with that person as you had before. You might never talk to them again, but things in your own mind might be a little bit more free. To do the work of re-engaging, to do that rework inside of yourself, it might look drastically different when you re-emerge from whatever that closed-off place in you is. It might look totally different. And if we look at the disciples, when they're finally sent out, when they're fully empowered by Holy Spirit, we see them being sent out. Life is different for them. Suddenly, Jesus isn't around when they're squabbling with each other over who is the greatest. They have to sort that stuff out for themselves. Right? Instead of Jesus being able to, like, you know, make, make wine, make, make make water turn into wine and multiply fish and loaves. Suddenly, they're relying on each other's generosity to help take care of their financial needs. Instead of Jesus doing all the work of healing, they are. Their lives are different. They're not reenacting what took place in the past. They're not repeating it. Instead, they're reemerging into a new place, a new place of freedom, a new place of growth, a new way of engaging with God and others. Friends, they changed the world as they did the work, as they emerged and re-emerged from their locked rooms, as they were sent out into the world. What do you need to receive today? Jesus is here once again with many gifts to give. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you bring us your message of peace, that you show us your wounds, that you breathe on us that life-giving breath, the breath that blew over the waters at creation, the breath that brought order out of chaos, the breath that empowers us to release release those, those things in us that we're holding onto, those pains, the places of unforgiveness in us, your Spirit empowers us to forgive. 
Your spirit empowers us to be sent, just as you were sent. And we know that you, you, you mean us no harm because you come with your wounds, showing the depths of what you will do to free us, to forgive us. So there's nothing, nothing in between you and us forever. Lord, may each person here in the quietness of this moment begin to receive what they need from you. For those who are listening online, you want to just hold your hands out. If you're at home or you're, you've been eating breakfast or you're, you might be doing some, some work around the house, you just want to pause and open your hands out and say, Jesus, I receive. I receive your gifts. Lord, whether it's the gift of even a first-time relationship with you, we give you consent to come into our lives. For those of us who've known you a long time, we welcome you into our locked rooms. In Jesus' name, amen.